Would you join me in reading uh, today's uh, text? It's on uh, page 613 in the Blue Pew Bible, um, Isaiah 52, 1 through 12. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come unto you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You are sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down into the, at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all, day, all the day my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Let's pray once again. Lord, give us grace to see the magnificent work that you have done for your people. To bring us out of captivity. To bring us into your royalty your royalty that we share with Christ Jesus himself into a new destiny to be co-heirs with the Son of God. Lord, how you could do this for us who had stood so firmly against you and yet you have acted and you declare to us to go free. Bless us, Lord, that we all the more will walk in the freedom that you have won for us in Christ Jesus Bless us to that end, we pray. Amen. In this section from Isaiah 40 to 55, we have here the, in varying ways the announcement to Israel in their captivity in Babylon that they are going to be released. And these passages come at it again and again in different ways, it reaches a kind of climax here in chapter 52 on the verge of the announcement of the suffering servant beginning in 52.13 through chapter 53. So the, the announcement of the release from captivity has gone through many variations, it reaches a kind of climax 
right before then, finally, the presentation of the servant who will do the great work on behalf of Israel that she may be set free. And that's what uh, Brian will preach on next week, beginning with verse 13. And you can see it building even in this section because in chapter 51, verse 9, we see awake, awake. This said to God to put on strength. And then again to verse 17, the word to Israel, wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. And then our text, awake, awake. And so there's this sense of a dawn breaking in on the darkness of their captivity in Babylon, the, the dawning of hope and, and rescue and release. <clears throat> so we'll look at this passage uh, under three points. First is going to be the command. And the command begins by awake and shake yourself from the dust in verses 1 and 2. But the section ends that way as well with depart, go out from there. And these are so similar. I want to take those together as God's command to rise up and to depart, okay? Then verses 3 through 6 more or less describe why he can tell us, tell Israel to awake, because they will know his name, he says there in verse 6. He will be present to them, and they'll know him. So there's the command, and then there's knowledge, the knowledge of God that will come to them. That's why... There is an awakening. That's why they can depart, because they will come to know God. And then finally, there's this beautiful image of the announcement of the messenger uh, who comes in verse 7. So command, knowledge, and announcement. What's remarkable about this command, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. This is weak, helpless Zion in captivity. But he says, put on your strength. This is a strength that I am bringing to you that you will have in union with me because of me. And though you are in degradation, though you are in shame, I tell you, put on your beautiful garments. These are yours. They belong to you. You will put them on. You will bear them. You will have this uh, new look, so to speak. And he calls Jerusalem, this place that had been so full of idolatry, because of which God had to bring them into exile in Babylon, he says, you are the holy city, and in you there will be nothing unclean. Now, this is likely a statement in, when he talks about there being uh, uncircumcised and unclean will not come into you. It's partly a comment of how the enemy will not come into you, but even more than that, it likely refers to the fact that you will not be uncircumcised any longer. You see, later in Jeremiah, uh, later in the Bible, in Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, it says, The nations are uncircumcised, and Israel is uncircumcised of heart. So how are they going to be the people of God living as a holy city? Something must happen to them to cure their rebellion and their uncleanness, you see. And he says, you will no longer be uncircumcised. It's very similar to what he announces in Ezekiel 36, 
where he says, I will take out of you the heart of flesh and I will put out the heart of stone and I will put in you a heart of flesh. You see, that's inner renewal. You will be a new people. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my commandments. You will be new people from the inside out because of how I will deal with you. You will no longer be the uncircumcised and the unclean. You will be holy as I deal with you. And so, see, to say it is your strength and your beauty, your new name of being the holy ones, this is a redefinition of Israel. This is a renaming of Israel, a reconstitution of Israel. And it's very similar to what God does with us as he calls us the holy ones in the New Testament. How can I go from being the rebellious one to suddenly, when I give myself to Christ, I'm called the holy one? Way beyond what I am, but it's a call, it's a redefinition. It establishes me in a new direction, a new course of my life, carved out now for God's purposes. And so he is saying this to Israel in that context. And he says to Israel, shake yourself from the dust. This is the dust of humiliation and weakness and brokenness. And he says, arise and be seated. To be seated here, uh, the uh, Targum of Jewish writing uh, has it this way, to sit on the throne of glory. And Oswald says this really catches the sense of what is intended here. It is a rise from the dust to royalty. Just like in chapter 47, verse 1, he said Babylon will have to step down from their throne and sit in the dust when God brings judgment upon them. But Israel is going to rise from the dust and sit on the throne. And so, though we are weak and helpless, though we are, have bonds upon our neck, he tells us, because of his strength, to shake ourselves from the dust and arise. And there's actually a pun in the original language. In, in, our, in English, it would read something like this. You who are thrown down, now sit on the throne. The thrown down ones now sit on a throne. What a glorious statement to us in our sin and weakness and helplessness and brokenness for God to say, rise up from the dust and sit yourself on a throne. There is an immediate application of this in our lives as we are told in Ephesians chapter 2 that he has raised us up in Christ and or he's made us alive in Christ. He's raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenlies so that there is an immediate seating in the, on the throne with Christ. There's a, an immediate new reign of grace in our lives by which I begin to walk in a new freedom in my life. I begin to walk in a new likeness to God. I begin to walk out of fear into a sacrificial love, whatever the cost. This, this new reign of grace, as Paul calls it in Romans six, that begins to in Romans five, that begins to take place in my life. And then it has an ultimate meaning in that the reign that we lost in the fall is restored in the resurrection of Christ in His reign now. 
Do you realize a real human being in the person of Christ is now reigning? In Him, not only is that a token of our future reign with Christ, it's the beginning of our reign. It's the beginning of human restoration to kingship. That's the ultimate fulfillment of this, that we sinners are raised from the dust, we arise, and we're seated eventually completely in glory with Christ. We will fully inherit that reign. There are those like a man I knew in Jackson who was completely strung out on drugs, or had been. When I came to know him, he had been released from that. But, in the me- but before that, he had lost his job, he had lost his family, he had lost everything. He was begging on the street to try to support his habit. That's where he was. And by God's grace, he came to know Christ. He was beginning to try to make reparations with his family. But no matter, in that last day, he will take a throne. He will sit as, a, as royalty. No matter the shame that he fell, no what he fell to. And many who are even now incredibly rich, who can live anywhere they want and buy anything they want and go anywhere they want, known by maybe millions of people the world over, they will, if they reject the reign of God, will leave that throne, so to speak, and live in the dust forever. And so God is reigning now through Jesus Christ, as we will see further, and those who reject that reign will themselves be dislocated and end up in the dust, but those in the dust who have embraced that Lord Jesus will be exalted to this glorious throne with Him. That is part of the message here. Shake yourself from the dust and rise and be seated. And so you and I aren't allowed... the. Uh, you know, luxury, but it's the degradation of continuing in our sin. By His grace, we can continue to shake ourselves off and to continue to walk in our new nobility that we have. And that's what He's saying in verse 11, depart. Three times, go out from there. Go out from the midst of her. You shall not go out in haste. But there's this exiting from your former lifestyle, from your former mindset. You can leave what you were. And there's such an emphasis there on holiness. The same as the beginning. You're going to be the holy city so you don't touch an unclean thing. You purify yourself. You're so pure, you're like the priest in the Old Testament who bore the vessels of the Lord. Now everybody will bear those vessels because we will all be regarded as priests who are in tight, in close, intimate with God made righteous before Him, made acceptable through the work of Christ so that we can bear the vessels of the Lord. And it's interesting that he emphasizes you'll not go out in haste, you'll not go out in flight. There's a leisure in this. It's not the hurried escape of Egypt. It's not like a jailbreak in which you flee madly so you won't be caught again. It's an actual release from prison You make your plans. You pack your stuff. They usher you to the front gate. They let you go. It's over. There's a sureness about it, a firmness about it. 
And that's what he's emphasizing. This will be a done, complete deal. And you will go out not in the flight of fear, but it's the release of fear into the secure love and protection of God. As he says, he will go before you. He will be your rear guard. You, you, you're commending yourself not into fear, but into the everlasting protection of God who has worked, who, who, who's telling you to depart. And so the departure is out of your sin into the fellowship and protection of God himself. So that is the command. Awake, depart. But it's based upon the fact that God will make himself known to us. It is the knowledge of God that will set us free. And so in verses 3 and following, he rehearses their past, uh, their past captivity. He says, you were sold for nothing, you shall be redeemed without money. That means, hey, you were not even bought. They paid nothing for you. You still belong to me. And yes, I'm going to get you back. Then he begins to rehearse the former captivity with Egypt, which was so unjust that Egypt would turn their distress uh, and protection under the care then to slavery or to Assyria, uh, to whom Israel had done nothing, and yet Assyria oppressed them for no reason at all, basically. And then he says, so this is, you've been redeemed uh, without money. I mean, I'm sorry, you were sold for nothing Uh, You've had this capture in Egypt and in Assyria, and now even your rulers are wailing, showing the degradation and desperation that you're in, and my name is despised because of it, because it looks like I have abandoned my people. And all of that is to say this, you can be sure I'm going to deliver you as I consider all of your captivity and the unjustness at least of nations done against you, however much you deserve, from my perspective, judgment. They treated you harshly and cruelly, acting against you. It will not continue. And isn't it interesting, before we go on, that in their enslavement, in the Assyrian enslavement with Israel, and then the Babylonian enslavement with Judah, they deserved that enslavement. From the perspective of God, it was a judgment that God brought against them. But here he is showing compassion and desires to see them set free and restored and made whole. And so even though you have belonged to sin and you did it to yourself as I did it to myself, giving myself to evil spiritual power, God comes to us and says, They don't belong, you don't belong to them. They have not paid for you. You don't belong there. You can be set free, depart and walk out. God is concerned about you in your lostness. Even though you have put yourself there, he wants to set you free. Even as he's contemplating their bondage and and saying, I can't do it anymore. I will set them free And how is this going to happen in verse 6? They shall know my name. They shall know my name. They will know that I am present and I am doing this. 
And with the return from captivity, certainly there was some of that for Israel. For they would be amazed that the ruler Cyrus was letting them go free. How can my captor now say, you know what? I'm going to help you and you're going back to your land. What? What a sign of the power of God that he could move the ruler's heart to enable us to come back into the land of Palestine, into the promised land. And they had a new awareness at that point of their own idolatry, that they were in exile because they had worshipped idols and had rejected the living God. And yet they were seeing in our idolatry, he has shown us mercy. So see, they were coming to know God's power in a new way. They were coming to know God's mercy in a new way. That happened even there in the restoration from captivity. But it happens all the more in a glorious, magnificent way in the coming of Christ himself. There's a conversation that Philip and Christ had in the night before Christ was uh, to be crucified. And Philip said to him, Show us the Father. Show us the Father. And then Jesus gave the strangest answer in a way. He said, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? You think Philip might say, Whoa, 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 you didn't, you didn't hear me. I said, Show me the Father. You know, that, that's what we're talking about, the Father. And you said, I've been with you so long and you don't know me? It's like, am I crazy or are you not listening? But you know his point. His point, as he goes on to make, is he who has seen me has seen the Father. Don't you believe that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father? That his works are the works of the Father. His character is the character of the Father. And when he revealed himself to be the one who would die for his people. That's the Father's love that's being revealed. He's acting as the Father would act, revealing the Father's compassion, the Father's sacrificial love. And so he says, if you've seen me and you see all that I've done for you, you've seen the Father, who he is and how he acts for sinners. This is the revelation of him. And so in Christ. In the most glorious way, we know his name. We have seen who he is in the person of Christ. That he is the God who sacrifices himself for us. He is the God who will not even spare his own son for the good of his people. That's who God is. He is the God who will do anything to rescue and embrace his people And he gives them the world itself, even though they forfeited everything. And he does it through his own suffering. This is the amazing thing that they are taken from the dust and seated on the throne because he was willing to be degraded to the dust in sin to leave his throne and do that for us. That's who we come to know God as, the one who would leave his glory to be degraded for us so that we could leave our degradation and enter in the glory he has won for us. That's who God is. 
And he says, they will know my name. And it's because we realize that this is a relational God, a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who's always dwelled in love. And now he's manifested that love to us. And we can have a real relationship with this God. This God who would sacrifice himself for us. And that is why I can awake and put on strength. That is why I can depart. Because I have a relationship and a context of God himself. The God of love who sacrifices himself. And so we can walk away from bondage because of what he has done for us. And this brings us then finally to this glorious announcement. This image that's given to us in verses 7 and 8. So there's this command to, go, to, to depart and to awake based on you can know and will know God and you'll be a whole different people because you'll know God. And now there's this glorious announcement, this picture given to us. And so it's, you're in a city, you don't know what's going to happen in the battle that's taking place. And you know one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to see your own people your own troops battered and torn and broken and you realize it's all over, we're done for and now they're going to come in and ransack our whole, uh, our whole city. We're ruined forever. But instead, there's this beautiful, beautiful messenger. And it's interesting that his feet are considered beautiful. Why? Because of the message he has is beautiful. And it's a message that No, we didn't lose, but it's a message of peace. It's a good news of happiness. It's of rescue. Here's the message. Your God now reigns. Your God does reign. He has always reigned. And his reign is manifesting itself in your release. This is the announcement to them of their release from captivity. But bigger than that, it's the announcement of release from the captivity of sin. This is a release, Zion, from your idolatry, from your uncircumcision, from your degradation and weakness. This is salvation that has won for you because God reigns. And, And this message then is caught by the watchmen that are on the walls and they begin to sing for joy. Uh, The announcement of this return of the Lord who's come to Zion to bring blessings to Zion and release to Zion. And then the announcement in verse 9, break forth singing all of Israel, all of Jerusalem. And isn't it wonderful that the waste places of Jerusalem break forth in singing. The desert places of lostness and darkness and blindness and barrenness. That's the place where singing breaks out. Wasted people in the grace of God are redeemed and rescued to sing a song of transformation, a song of forgiveness, a song of acceptance because ultimately the death of Christ on our behalf and his resurrection on our behalf, he brings that comfort to us. He brings that redemption to us. And it's wonderful that he says he's bared his holy arm. His holy arm. This is the arm of one who acts in absolute purity. Not serving himself, but he's serving others. It's a holy love, a holy purpose. 
It's a holy power acting in love, not evil. It gives itself away at the greatest cost. Who ever heard of an arm like that? Not an arm of arrogance and abuse. Not an arm of neglect and cruelty, which most power in the world is that. But it's a gracious and kind and sacrificial arm that bears itself for us. Even to the point of death on the cross, as Paul says. So that God spares nothing in using His power to rescue His people. This holy arm that does no wrong to others but acts for their good. And so, as a result of that, wasted Jerusalem can break into singing. And we can break into singing no matter what the waste and desert and loss of our life, no matter what our particular degradation and sin habits and struggles and slavery, He comes to us to say, The Lord reigns. And and this is one of the central messages of the New Testament. That Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's at the right hand of the Father. And the announcement is Jesus Christ is Lord. And think what that means. One who has given his life for us now rules in power over the world. What do you think he could do for you? (laughs) What do you think he wants to do for you? It's not just an announcement that Jesus has all power. It's an announcement that the one who died for sinners has all power. And he will use that power for your good. He will use that power to deliver you from sin. He will use that power to make you in the image of God. Jesus reigns and so grace reigns in the earth. And grace is spreading in the earth. And you yourself may feel like a city that has been under attack. You may feel like a city that has been devastated and ravaged, and some of it is what you've done to yourself, and some of it's what other people have done to you. And you feel like a wasted place. You must see this messenger coming to you. The Lord reigns for you. The Lord reigns for you and you and you. He reigns to deliver you. He reigns and calls you to depart from there. He's bared His holy arm for you, no matter how wasted you are. You and I must hear the deliverance, our deliverance in Christ, that He comes to us to take us from the dust and to seat us on the throne. And as some of you know, Paul quotes verse 7. In Romans chapter 10, as he's describing the proclamation of the gospel of Christ, which the apostles had begun. And we must take that mantle on upon ourselves. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those of him who brings good news. Paul says it like this. He paraphrases. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful... Brothers and sisters, are your feet as you engage others through ongoing friendship and discussion of God's Word so that they can begin to see their rejection and hatred of God as we've come to see ours, and they can begin to see God's unfathomable love to rescue us and embrace us so that you are the light of the world You are, in the title of our sermon, Beauty on the Move. 
You're the beauty of the earth, in a sense. You're the beauty of the earth because you are bearing the most beautiful, glorious message. Christ reigns. Christ reigns. He reigns to deliver. He reigns to save. He reigns to bring us into fellowship with God through his precious work. And so we each get to ask that question, both feeding upon this glorious message ourselves and manifesting it in our continued awakening of ourselves and continuing to leave the dust and continuing to leave the uncleanness of our lives, continuing to manifest the salvation that God has brought us into. And in that context, we make known this message to others and become part of the beauty of the earth. What a glorious privilege to those who were in the dust that now we're part of the beauty of this world as we become the light of the world. May God grant to us to embrace that call from God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, if there are those here who have never trusted you, we pray that they even now would hear this wonderful announcement that beauty awaits, that rising from the dust and embracing a royalty even, Lord, that you will give us, that we walk in a new dignity even in this life, a dignity of, of giving ourselves away in love as you gave yourself away for us. A new dignity being released from our selfishness and our mistreatment of one another and our neglect of one another and our harm we bring to one another to be released from this and to walk in a new dignity and glory of likeness to God that will finally issue one day in the ultimate being raised from the dust when our very bodies will be reconstituted and conformed to the glory of Christ. And as Jesus said, then the meek will inherit the earth. And it says we will reign with Christ forever. Oh Lord, what a salvation. What majestic love has been given to us that through your suffering we should receive ultimately such glory. Oh Lord, Give us grace to see you, to trust you, to rejoice in you, for our lives to be marked with this abundant, overwhelmed singing of joy for our great God. Amen.